It's good to see everybody out today. I know uh, we live in uncertain times, and really the uh, topic on the screen that would have been there was a lot of pictures of some of the chaos that's taking place in our world today. And the title of our lesson is Attitudes in Uncertain Times. There is no doubt that we are living in times that we have not seen in a very long time. Most of us have never experienced some of the things that are taking place in our world today. It's unusual. You know, just a few months ago, everything was normal or seemed normal, and our biggest concerns was something happening in a faraway place. Would there be a war in some other country? Uh, would there be uh, an uprising somewhere or some other problems that would take place? And most of the time, the problems that took place, even in our own society, didn't affect individuals or us, me, may have affected someone close to me or someone else. But I think that we're living in a time where the uncertainty has affected everyone. We go to the grocery store, and a few months ago there were shelves that were empty. You go to the grocery store today, and there's still places that are empty. There are It's not stocked like it was. And many times you see signs that will say you limit to one or two per customer. Schools and universities and colleges are closed. Some may open for this uh, fall semester. Some are going to stay home and do it online. We see the pandemic that has taken place. And I know some take it more serious than others, but we can see the reality of it that there are a lot of people that have died as a result of it. And that there are a lot of people that are infected by it. And so it is something that has caused a lot of uncertainty in our lives. We can see the chaos that's taking place in major cities, in different places, and you wonder when's it going to stop or what's going to happen. And it's very unnerving and upsetting. We see political infighting. Each side pointing to the other. Who are we going to blame? Is it the president's fault? Is it a senator? Is it the Congress? Which one is it? We want to blame the governors or the mayors. And all of them may be to blame, but that's the problem. You see people pointing at each other. And there's a lot of chaos that takes place in our society. Who would have thought, or who would have ever thought, that a funeral would have to be postponed or delayed or only ten people could go to a funeral. I know some of those things have changed. But think about that. I can't imagine people in nursing homes that have to die alone. Oh, there may be a nurse or someone that's there to hold their hand. But I don't know about you. If I'm dying, I think I would rather hold my family's hand. So we're living in a time of uncertainty. We're confronted with the uncertainty and the un unprecedented changes that take place every day. Just when you think that you've figured out something, it will change tomorrow. As I mentioned last Sunday evening, we mentioned that we were going to start having an evening service. Then I read this week that the governor's thinking about going back the other way. And so you see how things change from day to day. And I think that we would love to have somebody tell us that everything's going to be all right. 
I mentioned this uh, in another sermon not too long ago that when we were kids, you might have a crisis in your life. And it was always comforting to have a mom or a dad that would say, it'll be okay. And then you could go on with life. I think that that's what we would like to hear today. Someone say that it's going to be all right. That someone is God. God wants to tell us that everything is going to be all right. He has a message of hope and peace and love. And He wants us to understand that there's things in the Bible that will help us during this difficult time. If you have your Bible, turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Because I believe that there are a couple of books, uh, letters that are written that help us in this time of difficulties. Theirs may have been a little different, but it's still about the same. There's persecution that takes place. And that's really some of the things that concern me more than all the upheaval and terrible things that are happening. Some of the things that we see in the, uh, with our religious freedoms uh, uh, are kind of uh, disheartening. But let's read, beginning of chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 12. Beloved, I think it not strange, or think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which shall try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. We know that the Lord is going to return. And we know that there's going to be difficult times. As I mentioned in the time of Peter, and as we studied a few months ago, when we looked at the apostles on Sunday evening, most of them died a horrible death because of their faith in Christ, because of them living the right way. And many times that we look at that when we're living right, we expect everything to be warm and rosy in our lives, and it just doesn't happen. Why is that? Because we are light in a dark world. And the dark world wants to persecute us. The dark world wants to do things to us that harm us. But Peter is telling us that if we will remain faithful, there is joy that's going to come to us. That it is something that is good to be persecuted for Christ's sake. And we need to understand that. That there is a promise that's going to be, that, that will be fulfilled in the hereafter. So, I want, with that in mind, I want us to back up to verse 7. Because there I think that we see the attitude that we should have as Christians in these uncertain times, no matter what comes our way, I believe Peter is giving us encouragement and advice on how to live our lives in uncertain times. In verse 7, "...but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things have..." Uh, fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good servants of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom both be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God 
commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Let's look at these verses this morning and let's learn the attitudes that we need to have. How these verses can help us in uncertain times. First of all, in verse 7, Peter says, that "...be ye therefore sober and watch." Peter is saying that we need to maintain sound judgment. I think that he's trying to tell us or telling us that we need to be sober-minded, that that means that we need to have a clear mind, that we need to, have, we need to understand what is important and what is not. Many times we get that a little confused. Sometimes we don't realize what's the most important thing in life. Kind of reminded of a story that I read this past week, which is supposed to be true. That a lady had gotten out of her car, and as she got out of the car, the door shut behind her, and it was locked. And the keys to her car were inside of the car. The problem was that there was also a toddler in the back seat in a car seat. And it was very hot outside. And she was in the parking lot and she started to panic. What was she going to do? Well, there was somebody that was there that had a wire and they were trying to stick it down through the window in between the door and the, and the, and the jam. And they were trying to unlock the door and they were working at it. And the child, it was so hot, started to turn colors, started to foam at the mouth, and started to lose consciousness. And about that time, a record car, a record driver showed up and he seen what was happening. He took a crowbar and he smashed the back window of the car. They got the child out. They got fluids in the child. The child was revived. Everything was okay. But the woman, guess what? Was she happy that her child was safe? No, she was irritated that they busted the back window of her car. Now you tell me, which was more important? Now, we can sit here and we can say, well, we know what's the most important, but would we be upset if that happened to us? And let's think about it spiritually speaking. Do we have our priorities on the right things or the things that aren't so important? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to understand that what we see is not important. All that we see cannot be taken with us when we die. All that is seen will ultimately be destroyed when our Lord returns. The Bible teaches us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, beginning, "...but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up." Brethren, all this stuff that we're so concerned about isn't going to do us any good. When we die, it all stays here. None of it's going with us. And when we get to heaven, if that's where we end up, guess what? All the stuff that was here isn't going to help us there. And that's why Jesus tells us that while we're living here on this earth, that we need to lay up treasures in heaven, not on the earth. Because why? Up there is where it's important. Eternity is what's important. The things that we can't see. 
Why? Because Peter tells us, nevertheless, in the, in the very context that I just read, nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heaven and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Brethren, this world is temporary. But yet we get so caught up in the things that we have and the possessions that we want and all of that stuff and we forget what is the most important. We're like that woman, that precious child in the backseat, almost dying, almost dies, and she's upset because the window's broke. How much could a window cost? But yet we exchange our soul for stuff, possessions. Things that's not going to do us any good in eternity. The things that might seem most important to us today will not be of any use when this life is over. And so Peter is telling us that in times of uncertainty, focus your attention on the unseen things, the things that are most important, the knowledge of God, His Word, how He wants us to live, our faith, our hope, our love, our joy, our peace, and our holiness. I'm putting a plug in here for our lessons. I don't know how many is doing the lessons that I send out every week, but one of the things that we're pointing out, or I'm pointing out in that lesson, is the holiness of God. That God is holy. There's no darkness in Him. There's no shadow of darkness. He is pure holiness. And God expects His people to be holy. How many of us understand what that means? Think about the holiness of God in Isaiah. When Isaiah came in the presence of God, he said, woe is me. I'm of unclean lips. You know, I hear people say what they're going to say to God or do to God or you know, when they're in His presence. In every example that we see in the Bible where people were approached by God, it's very humbling. They didn't do much of anything except answer to God. God expects us to be holy. Work on those things in our lives. Let me ask, what's the focus of your life today? In this time of uncertainty, are we spending our time, talent, energy, treasures pursuing the seen or the unseen? What's most important in your life? The second point I want to make out of that, what Peter said, is that we need to practice self-control. If you look at the, I think it's the English Standard Version, as I was looking and studying for this lesson, I think it's the English standard standard version that says to be sober or self-controlled and sober-minded. The thought there is uh, the word that Peter uses means to be wholehearted singleness or single-mindedness versus being drunk or having a divided mind. He's saying be sober, be sober-minded, be self-controlled. In the King James Version, it says, Be sober and watch. We're going to be on guard. If you're on guard, if you have someone standing guard for you, do you want them intoxicated? 
Do you want them uh, their attention diverted to something else? You want them to be watching. And God is telling us here, be sober, be of a clear mind so that you can be focused on what's important and watch. Have self-control. That's what He's telling us there. The lexicon, or the Greek lexicon, the Thayer's, points out that the word as used in the New Testament means total abstinence. That we never, never become drunk on anything that inhibits our relationship with God. Oh, I hear people that will argue, well, a little drink's okay, a little drug's here's okay. Why would we want to do something that would inhibit our ability to know and be focused on what is the most important things in our life? First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. When we talk about abstinence, it's not just alcohol. It's not just drugs that we're talking about. It's this fleshly lust. The things that can take control of us. Things that influence us. Things that cause us to lose our focus. And Peter says, abstain. Abstain from fleshly lust. What, do they, those, what does that fleshly lust do? It wars against the soul. In other words, there's a battle that's going on. And we have to fight that battle. And we have to overcome that battle. And Peter is saying that we ought to be free from every form of mental, physical, emotional, spiritual intoxication. We are to be self-controlled, a single-minded people. When you look at the apostles and you see them stand before governors and kings, their focus is on the Gospel. It's not, I've been unfairly treated or I've been abused. It's the Gospel of Christ. That's what they present, the Gospel of Christ. Why is that? Because they're focused. They're self-controlled. They realize what's important in this life. Why do we need to be single-minded? Why do we need to have self-control? Peter gives us the answer to that too. In 2 Peter chapter 5 or 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We have an adversary out there. We have an enemy out there. We have someone that wants to destroy our faith. Are we on guard? Are we watching? Are we sober-minded? Focused on the things that are important. Not the things here on this earth, but the things above. Peter goes on to tell us that we need to have a prayer life, an active prayer life. When we can't see the future, we become anxious. We're creatures of habit. We like life to go on the same every day. We don't like change. Whether we like to admit it or not, we do not like for things to change. And the world around us, everything has pretty much changed. Our world has been shaken. And if you're one of those that really disdain, have disdain for, for change then this world's really made you uncomfortable. 
You see, prayer helps us in that area. Prayer helps us when we can't see the future. Because we're talking to the one who is in charge of the future. I've been around several people when they've gotten to the end of life. I've been around people that were faithful Christians, and I've been around people that had no religious affiliation at all. And one thing that I have noticed is that when you're in those situations, even those that have absolutely no religious affiliation want you to pray. Why is it that they want you to pray? Because tomorrow is uncertain. They're not sure they're going to have a tomorrow. And so they want you to pray. The closer we get to the end of life, I think the more we understand how important prayer is. Because we can't see tomorrow. And we realize that the end is getting closer. There is an uncertain time in our lives. And we need to realize that during uncertain times, we can talk to God. We can tell Him our concerns. And He cares about us. Look at what it says in the New Testament and various passages of Scripture. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, Jesus taught that we need to be persistent in prayer. We need to talk to God and we need to repeat sometimes our request. We need to be persistent. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 36, we need to pray always. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, we need to pray on all occasions. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, be constant in our prayers. In James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, if we have trouble in our life, we need to pray. If we're happy, then we need to pray. If we're sick, we need to pray. If we're caught up in sin, we need to pray. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. Why is all of that important? Because we need to talk to our Father in heaven. We need to talk to God. Because the end could come. And that end could come at any moment. For we all live in uncertain times. And Peter's telling us prayer is something that is important. Peter goes on to tell us that we need to maintain a fervent charity among yourselves. In other words, we need to have a fervent love among ourselves for one another. God created us for relationships. There's a program on television alone. They take people out and they drop them off in the middle of nowhere. Whoever can survive the longest wins all the big money. The one thing that I've noticed about the individuals that are on that program, just to make sure you know which one I'm talking about, it's the one that they have their clothes on, it's not the other one. But the one thing that I notice about that program, about those individuals, that when they're out there by themselves, they almost start to lose their mind sometimes. They start missing their loved ones. They want to be with their loved ones. And some will give up 
because they want to go home. They want to be with their family. They want to be around people. Why is that? Because that's what God created us for. What did God say in the beginning? It's not good that man should be alone. So how are we going to change that? God said it. He created us. And He knows that we're created for relationships. And He created us to love one another. And we need to focus, the, fo- or the success of our life needs to be focused on God. You see, the amount of money isn't what determines how successful we are or the amount of clout that we accumulate in this life or how we climb the corporate ladder, but rather what's important. And what determines our success is our relationship with God. And by our love for one another. So we need to love God first. But we need to love one another. That Greek word that he uses there for fervent is extendes. That word is used in classical Greek to describe an athlete who strains every muscle, uses every muscle, uses all of his ability to reach the goal. He's giving everything that he has to win. That's the word that he uses. If you've seen athletes the ones that are very serious about what they're doing, they give everything they've got to get to the goal. To win. What's Peter telling us? That we need to give everything that we've got. We need to use every fiber in our body to love one another. Loving our brethren fervently is giving our relationships with others everything that we've got. Are we doing that? And notice Peter says that that fervent love covers a multitude of sin. Now Peter's not saying that love forgives sin. That doesn't do that. But a fervent love keeps a multitude of sins from happening. When you love people, you try to help them. You try to correct them when they start going off in the wrong direction. If we loved each other, you wouldn't have the gossip in the church that's there. If you loved each other like we're supposed to, you wouldn't tear someone down behind their back. If you had love like you're supposed to, you wouldn't look for the bad in someone else. You would be looking for the good. That's what love does. And so we need to make sure that we practice what Peter is telling us. But he also tells us that we need to practice or show hospitality. We need to know that practicing hospitality is more than having someone over for dinner 
or leaving the services and stopping at the restaurant down the road and eating with everyone. Biblical hospitality is preferring one another, placing the interests of others before our own self, and it's being sensitive to and taking care of the needs of others, whatever they might be. It's serving others with the blessings God has given us, be it time, talent, energy, or truth, whatever it may be. Believe it or not, it's hospitable to show someone the truth of God's Word. It's hospitable to show them that they need to change their life. And so it's more than just going out to eat or having someone over to your house for dinner. Webster says it's being cordial, making others feel welcome, entertaining guests or strangers, being of service to others, our being given to generosity. You know, so many times, I mentioned this I think last Sunday, a lot of times we just want to throw money at it. You know, there's a problem? Here, take, here, here, take money, go figure it out. It takes more work. It takes more interest to get involved and say, let me help you. Let me do something for you. Let me show you how you can correct this. Let me show you how you can better yourself. The Greek literally means, when we talk about hospitality, it literally means the love of strangers. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, I don't know if the writer is saying that it's possible that we could entertain angels, but I think that he's reminding us that when we, when we entertain or when we help other people, we need to be careful and know who we're helping. Think of the judgment scene that Jesus gave. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. I was in prison. I had all these things. And you did it not under the least of these. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. And what does he say? What do they say? Well, if we had known it was you, we certainly would have done it. You know, sometimes when we're doing good, Jesus sees that. Did you know that? And sometimes when we're doing good, we're doing it unto Him. Doing it because that's what He would have done. And that's what He expects us to do. During this time of uncertainty, we need to take the focus off of ourselves and be mindful of others. Know this. The genuine hospitality is not just being mindful of others. Because it's easy to say, yeah, I know, so-and-so's got a problem. We're mindful of it. But biblical hospitality is helping them. Placing their interests above your own. And isn't it interesting that when Peter's talking about hospitality... He must know us. Or maybe they were just the same back then. But what does he go on to say? We need to do it without grudging. In other words, without grumbling and complaining. 
about what we have to do. Each morning we have a choice. We can get out of bed thanking God for our blessings, or we can get out of bed grumbling and complaining. Which is it? We can focus on the few things that we have in our lives that's a trouble or a problem, but when you start to count your blessings, I guarantee you that your blessings are going to far outnumber the problems. I thought about doing that one time on a PowerPoint. I wanted to list all my problems, and I was thinking of the list, kind of short list, but then if I put all the blessings on a screen, you wouldn't be able to read them. Because the thought would have to be so small, you couldn't see all of those blessings that we have. And every one of us are in that situation. We just don't like to think about it. Because it's easier to focus on the flesh. Don't grumble. What is it that sets the tone for your day? Thankfulness or ingratitude? Joy or grumbling? God hates grumbling. He destroyed those in Israel who grumbled in the wilderness. If the world is affecting your attitude, turn it off. Focus on the good things. Peter says, rejoice in your suffering so that you may have joy when Jesus returns. But then he goes on and talks about speaking as the oracles of God. He says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, what he's saying is that we need to maintain sound doctrine. We don't have the right to speak anything else except what God's Word has said. When we speak, we need to speak as the oracles of God. Brethren, there's a time that we need to defend what the Bible teaches. When we hear some of the things that we hear on television, when I hear politicians say that it's okay to go and steal if you're scared and hungry or you're, you don't have a job, where did that come about? The Bible says... Let him that stole, steal no more. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. The Bible teaches those things. Brethren, we can see, and I don't know about you, but I see the ignorance in some of these people that are out there in charge in what they're teaching and saying. You can see the ignorance that they have of God. And you can see that they're ignorant of His Word. That they don't know what the Bible teaches. And there's another organization that's out there, very popular nowadays, plastered on the side of buildings. A lot of organizations are giving them a ton of money. Yeah, we're against police brutality. I don't like to see people abused by the police. But that organization also is opposed to God's definition of a family. Now, do you stand up for the truth or do you just say, oh, well, yeah, I want to go here and take some money. We're happy to give it to you. Brother, like I said, we don't want to see abuse. But God's definition of the family is the right definition. A man and a woman. But yet I hear my brethren that sympathize with the gay lifestyle, 
They will say, oh, well, yeah, you know, they're, they're in love. It's contrary to what God says. So do we stand up for sound doctrine? Do we practice sound doctrine? Do we believe sound doctrine? God is the same today he was as, the, as He was yesterday. And He will be the same tomorrow if there is a tomorrow. And so don't get caught up in all of this stuff that's out there. Make sure you know what you're supporting. And when it's contrary to God's Word, you cannot stand up and support it and be right with God. Listen to the warnings in Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse, or 4 and verse 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. When I hear that word fable, I think of fantasy, a fairy tale, something that's not real. And that's really what people want to accept. They see what God says, and I hate to say this, or I don't mind saying it. It can be taken the wrong way by anybody that wants to. But God's Word isn't black or white in a, in a sense of color of skin. If God said it, that settles it. And so we need to understand that. That His truth. We're not going to believe some fairy tale. We're not going to listen to some fable as opposed to something that can save our soul. That may sound good. It may make you feel good. But if it causes you to be lost, what have you gained? Oh, people are afraid to stand up and say what needs to be said because, oh, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know what will happen if we do what's right. We'll be persecuted. But we'll have joy when the Lord returns. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast to sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful words which he hath taught or been taught that he may be able to, by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There's only one faith. There's only one doctrine. There is no other gospel. We either accept what the Bible teaches and speak as the oracles of God or we give into the world and say what the world wants. God is right. He created us. There are some things in this world that are just wrong. God is the definer of what is right and what is wrong. What a challenge that we face as we live in these uncertain times. Those are some of the things that Peter gives us. We didn't look at every word that he said. But we looked at some of the things that he tells us that will help us to have the proper attitude 
as we strive to navigate life during these unsettling times. But I want to close with our looking at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to Him in well-doing as unto the faithful Creator. Suffering according to God's will calls for us to commit ourselves to God and to commit ourselves to one another. May God help each one of us in these coming weeks of uncertainty. As Trump, President Trump said, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. He didn't need to tell me that. And he probably doesn't need to tell you that. But in those weeks of uncertainty, hang on to those things that God gives us. Commit yourself to God and continue to do good. So the question is this morning, are you walking with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Are you trusting Him for today and tomorrow? Are you doing good things according to His will? Are you standing up for the truth when a friend may be arguing against what the Bible teaches? Are you standing up saying, yes, but this is what God says. This is what His Word says. Don't be ashamed of God's Word. Stand up for the truth. If you need to respond this morning to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand.